So today we are continuing our study on the parables of Jesus, and we are studying two parables today, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl, as given in Matthew chapter 13. This particular parable is only given in Matthew. Some of the other parables are given in Luke and, and Mark, but this particular path, these particular parables are only given in Matthew. For what reason, I'm not sure, um, but that's the way it is, and it's okay. That's the way it is. Um, so I, I hope you're enjoying this series on the parables. I hope you're learning something from them. I am greatly learning really more about the, um, the hidden truths, if you will, of God's word that Jesus reveals in the forms of parables. So uh, I'm excited about today, what we're going to learn today. So turn in your Bible to chapter 13 of Matthew, beginning at verse 44. And it says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and and bought it. Let's pray. Father, we need your wisdom And we need your understanding as we dig into these two verses, into these two very simple parables. God, what is it that you want us to glean from this? What is the information that you want us to walk away from is what we're asking for right now. And I pray this to be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. So these two similar, these two parables are similar, and yet they have a different meaning that we're going to find out as we look at them. Um, we could look at them to be very identical, but I think what we're going to find out is there's a, there's a difference. And the difference comes from the perspectives. One, I believe, is from man's viewpoint, and the other one is from God's viewpoint. And it's all about love. Both of these are speaking of the joy of finding a treasure. One is hidden, and one is purposely, purposely sought after. But both of them are very valuable in the kingdom. And we're going to see from the perspective of both a man's perspective or God's perspective how important that treasure or that pearl is. So let's dig into this. Let's look at the parable of the, of the hidden treasure first. At verse 44, Matt 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. I think we can summarize from this parable something like this. That to gain the treasure of the kingdom of heaven is worth losing or giving up everything on earth to find it. And it's a good trade. It's a good gift. So for us to gain the treasure of heaven is worth losing everything in earth. To gain the treasure of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. What is the kingdom of heaven? What does that mean? Well, the kingdom of heaven, by definition, is where God reigns. Where heaven is defined as where God is. It's kind of like Air Force One. When the president is on the 747, they call it Air Force One. 
when he's on the helicopter, they call it Marine One because it's a Marine helicopter, right? So that identifies the presence of the president. When the Queen of England is in her castle, there's a flag flying over the castle that says the Queen is present. So there's an, it's an indicator of who's there. So heaven is defined basically in its simplest definitions as to where God is. So let's talk about the kingdom of heaven as also as, as the same as being the kingdom of God. They're, they're the same thing. So what does that mean for us today? Say, say physically today, you and I are living on earth. And the enemy is also living on earth. This is actually his domain. He is the, the enemy is the prince of the air today. Spiritually, however, when we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit into our lives in our act of salvation, we are now inviting the presence of God to live within us. That means that the kingdom of God now is within us. The kingdom of God is within you. You may be living in the kingdom of the enemy physically, but the presence of God, the, the, the kingdom of heaven now resides in you. That's a powerful statement because we're now, we're, we're, we're describing a life that we can live in a dark world, but we can live in the peace and the security of the kingdom of heaven. So we're describing two things here, really. We're describing the kingdom of heaven is in our lives as we live on earth. At the same time, the kingdom of heaven is where God actually reigns over all of creation. So the kingdom of heaven is is a heavenly destination. It's a heavenly position. And it ultimately is going to be our final destination because when we die as a believer, we're going to move into the real presence of God in heaven, wherever that is. Right now, it's the present heaven. At some point in time in the future, it's going to be the heaven on earth after the final things are done and we move from heaven to earth. But that's a whole different teaching. So it's important that we understand that. So by understanding that the kingdom of God is within us, we can live in this ungodly world and still enjoy the peace and safety of God. Amen. That's a huge statement, folks. That's huge because we are living, we cannot escape this life. But I don't have to live in this life in fear and in bondage because the kingdom of God is within me. And the kingdom of God is within you. And that gives us great assurance and great peace and safety. At the same time, we can have a joyful anticipation of what it's going to be like as we enter that eternal kingdom of God. And that is our blessed hope. That is the return of Christ to take us away from this world. Whether, we, whether that happens in our death, which becomes our personal rapture, or it happens in the corporate rapture, which is the rapture of the, of the church, we will move from this physical realm into an eternal realm of eternal peace. So both of these are really being described here in this parable. One is far greater than the other. In other words, I think it's obvious that we can say that the eternal kingdom of heaven is far greater than the kingdom of heaven within us today. However, they're both important. And as was already mentioned in our service today, one cannot gain the eternal kingdom of heaven unless they first gain the kingdom of heaven in this life. 
I will not have heaven then if I don't have heaven now. I have to gain some form of that eternal life, eternal life in me right now if I expect to have eternal life then because I'm not going to get to heaven if I don't have heaven in me now. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? A person must have a saving relationship with Jesus through the cross, through the blood of Christ, by which he paid the price for our sin. There are no shortcuts and there are no workarounds. We can't get to heaven any other way. As Pastor Rip already quoted this passage, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there is no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. So when we look at this parable, um, the man in this parable really has no idea what he's looking for. I mean, he finds this hidden treasure in a field. And I could just imagine him that he's either working in the field because he works for the, for the field owner, or maybe he's just on a walk. And he's walking through somebody's field, and, and he trips on a stone. And, you know, and he stumbles over the stone, so he goes and he kicks the stone, and then when he kicks the stone, he, it uncovers a treasure in this field. I mean, he has no idea what he's looking for. All of a sudden, he sees this hidden treasure, and he digs it up, and he opens it, and he finds out to be it's very valuable. I mean, there's... I mean, gold coins, more than he could even hold it. I mean, just amazing. There's just a very, a, a, a very valuable treasure is, is undercovered now, and he is, has a dilemma because now he doesn't know what to do. He found this hidden treasure, and it's not his because he doesn't own the field. So he doesn't know what to do. So this man then has... A desire. He says, when he found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold everything that he had to buy the field. When he found it, he saw great value in it. He knew it was worth more than what he possessed. He found something bigger than himself. And he wanted it. But he couldn't do it because he didn't legally own the field. So the only way he could have the treasure is to, is to buy the field. So he said, okay, I know this treasure is more valuable than what I have. So I'm going to sell everything else that I have. Everything else. I'm going to give it all so that I can go and buy this field. And by buying this field, then I then have this treasure. And this treasure is so much more than what I could get on my own. So he sold everything that he had. And he bought the field. But here's the thing I want to stress. It says, in his joy, he went and he sold all he had and he bought the field. Now, I don't know if you can see the spiritual application in this or not. But the, the, the treasure here that is being referred to in this field is the truth of the gospel. It is the salvation truth. It is the fact that, that there is saving power in Jesus Christ and that gives eternal riches. And it's not just knowing that the truth. It's just not knowing the gospel. It's just like this man not knowing that this hidden treasure is in this field. It was enough for him to enjoy the treasure. He had to make a transaction to get that treasure. He had to go actually sell what he owned and went so he could legally buy the field so that that treasure was his. The treasure of the kingdom of heaven 
is so valuable that losing everything on earth is worth it to get it. That's the point of the parable. And it's not hard when we understand the value of the principle of the treasure of heaven. Paul said something very similar to this in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 9. Paul, Paul said, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus in my, as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So Paul basically is giving the definition of this parable. There's, that's the, probably the best summary in Scripture as to what this parable means because Paul is making it perfectly clear that there is nothing in this world that is worth more than gaining and living a daily relationship with Jesus. Even to the point of calling everything that he's done up to that point in time rubbish, garbage, worthless. There is nothing greater than gaining Christ and being found in him. Now, being found in him indicates that there has been a transaction. Because now, we just don't know about the treasure. We just don't know about Christ. No, there's been a transaction happened in our life where we've actually been purchased. We actually purchased it. Now, I'm not saying here that we can buy the message, that we can buy the gospel message. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But spiritually speaking here, the man had to make a transaction to take that treasure and to get it out of the ground and to put it in his life. The Bible clearly says that the kingdom of heaven is for those that have made that transaction of receiving Jesus as their Savior and then giving their life over to him on a daily basis. It's not just that I found the treasure once. See, if he would have just found the treasure once and hid it, and then done nothing else, the treasure would have meant nothing to him. That's kind of like saying, I got saved when I was 12 years old, and I haven't done anything with Christ since. And I'm 63 years old now, but because I was saved at 12 years old, I've been living like I want to live all my life. That's kind of like knowing the treasure was there, I might have, I might have looked at it, then I hid it. And then I walked away. No, if, I, if it's really going to be real, I have to buy the treasure. I have to make a transaction, whether it becomes mine and it's in my life and I cherish it. How do we do that spiritually? Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. Listen, that's day one. That's day one. Here's day two, 1 John 1, 9. If we make it our habit to confess our sins in his faithful righteousness, he forgives us for those sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Well, see, if I'm going to make something my habit... That means I do it more than once. If I'm going to make my daily life with Christ sufficient, then I have to make a habit of coming to Christ on a daily basis 
and repenting. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean that I've committed an unforgivable sin and I've got to repent over and over over that sin. No, it, what it means is I'm living a human life. <laughs> it means that I have struggles in my life day to day. And, and it's not that I want to have those struggles. No, I mean, I, I, I try every day to live a righteous life and I do my best to live a life without sin. But sometimes I just make mistakes. And how I recover from those mistakes is through repentance. It's not taking a stubborn attitude to say, well, I was saved once, therefore I'm going to be saved all forever. No, the way I'm saved forever is by making it a daily habit to confess my sins before the Lord every day. And I come to him over and over again. And when I do that, it gives me a fresh feeling in my spirit. It makes me new and aware of my, of my relationship with Christ. It's a process of repentance and forgiveness that makes this transaction more than just knowing about Jesus into a person that actually knows Jesus in a personal relationship. Does that make sense? Is this ringing true? Okay, amen, thank you. There's a benefit here then of, of enjoyment that we can know that as we're sold out to Christ, it really changes my life. And I think that's where the world misses it. I think the world thinks that being a Christian is a boring life. It's a life of drudgery with little rewards. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever heard that? But in all honesty, living a sold-out life for Jesus, a life that is both feet in the kingdom, not one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. I'm not talking about being a Christian on Sunday and being a non-Christian on Monday. I'm talking about being a Christian all of your life, committing yourself, that there is a real joy, there is a real happiness with that. Because the more that I'm willing to sell myself to Christ, the more he's able to bless me. Think of that. Blessings are conditional. Love is unconditional. He loves us unconditionally no matter what we're doing. But his blessings come with the condition that we're obeying him. And that we're showing him how much we love him by our obedience. And then he can bless you greatly. Amen. I like that. That gives me joy in the transaction. See, living for Jesus is living a life without regret. I don't have to worry about what I did yesterday when, when I'm living for Jesus. I don't have a hangover this morning because I had a big party last night. Now, when I have Jesus in my life, I live without regrets. Amen. That's an amazing, that's an amazing principle, isn't it? That's a great treasure that, for us to have. And the nice thing, the beautiful thing about this is that the treasure only gets better and better and better the longer I live. That treasure grows with me and it gets more valuable the more I own it, the more I possess it, the more I, I walk in it, the more precious it becomes, the bigger it becomes. It's an amazing principle. But I want to go back to that point I made earlier about buying the kingdom. The point here is that we cannot buy the kingdom, even though this parable says that the man found the treasure, he hid it, and then he went and sold all he had, and he, went and he bought the field. That's not saying that we can buy the kingdom of God. Let me just say this. God is not in the barter business. He's not a flea market God. He's not saying that you can walk in and say, God, I like that, and I want to give you this much for it, so give me what I want. I'm going to give me a deal, God. Come on, how about friends and family? <laughs> no, God's not in the friends and family deal-making business. 
God's in a business that says, I, I will make a transaction with you, but it's going to be on my cost, on my terms. It's going to cost you everything you have, but yet it's free. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it? I cannot buy the kingdom of God with my finances, with my, with my good works or how much money I have or my good looks or whatever it is. I have the, 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 the treasure of heaven comes as a free gift. So the point here is not how much you have to buy the kingdom. It really comes down to how much do you want it? How much do you want it? It's a free gift. How much do you want it? I heard a story. It's an interesting story from, from John Piper, actually. So let me tell you the story. It's like, the little, it's like a poor child that walks into the most expensive toy store in town. And the owner of the store comes to the boy and he says to him, you can have the best and most expensive toy in the store if you want it more than anything else. But if you want this little toy over here of less value, you can't have the best one. You can only have one. So which one do you want? Which one do you want? It's free. Do you want the one of less value or do you want the best one? That's what Jesus is saying here, guys, that it's a free gift. How bad do you want it? But you can't have the things of life and my best gift at the same time. Now, here's the thing. As I give, if I, as I make my choice to choose the best thing, know that we love and we serve a loving God, and a loving God is going to give me good things here too. C.S. Lewis said it the best. If you aim for heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. If you aim for earth, you get neither. If you aim for heaven, God will give you heaven and he'll give you earth. But if your aim is heaven or is only earthly, then God says that's all you get. In fact, you don't get anything because you're going to lose it in the end. That's what we're talking about here. So Piper goes on to say, in other words, there is a condition for having the kingdom, but the condition is not wealth or power or intelligence or eminence. The condition is that you prize the kingdom more than you prize anything else. The point of selling everything in this parable is simply to show where your heart is. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a heart attitude. It's what's, what's your heart? What's in your heart? What's your desire of your heart? And, and when we have a heart, a desire for God, this is when the gift can be given to us. Luke chapter 12, 32. So he says, don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. It's not a sacrifice of God to give you the kingdom. He's happy about it. So the, the man in this parable said, then in his joy he went out and he sold all he had and he bought the field. It is with great joy the man went and he sold all he had. And I think we need to understand truly what joy means. Does that seem, seem like a strange thing to say that he would joyfully give up all he had? seems kind of strange, doesn't it, to joyfully give up things. And I often, we, I think we miss what it means to be joyful in the sense of the kingdom. We may confuse joy with happiness. In the sense that happiness is fleeting at best. It comes and goes. It's based upon the situations in life. 
Happiness is really happenstance. If my life is good, if I have money in the bank, if I'm healthy, if my bills are paid, if my family's healthy, if my job is going well, I'm happy. Right? I mean, doesn't that kind of make us, a, isn't, aren't those kind of the conditions of happiness? But as soon as one of those key areas in life turns south, how quickly can I lose my happiness? How quickly can I be unhappy because I'm not healthy? Joy, on the other hand, can be given in all seasons of life, no matter your situation. Why is that? Because joy's source comes from something bigger than our daily situation. Joy's source comes from something bigger than us. Joy comes to the person that has a future defined for them based on something other than they can, what they can control. I'm reminded of examples in my life where I've been around people that have been in their last days of life. Floyd Graham is a good example for those that remember Floyd. My mom and dad were another example. I mean, I've been around people in their last days of life and they had a sense of joy about them that was different than happiness. Um, my parents both passed, my dad in 09, my mom in 2016, both passed with diseases that gave them time. They didn't die in a car accident. There wasn't a tragic death. It was a, it was a, a time death. And sometimes those are good, sometimes those are not so good. But the reality is that I was able to walk with them through the process. And both of them were very content and very at peace knowing that they were going to heaven. Knowing that they were going to be with Jesus. They were excited about that. But let me be honest with you. They were still very nervous about the process of dying. Because my dad said it. I've never died before. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to feel like. <laughs> so that's okay. There's a process, natural process of death. Our body wants to live. So let me just say it this way. Joy does not equal happiness. Joy does not equal happiness, but it can. I mean, happiness can be part of it. I don't have to be grumpy in life. I can still be happy. Walking in a sense of peace with the Lord, knowing that I have the treasure, the hidden treasure, and knowing that it's mine, that I possess it because I've given my life to Christ, gives me a sense of joy that transcends all feelings of happiness or unhappiness. Don't let the devil tell you that if you're unhappy, you don't have the Lord in your life. Happiness does not mean you're not joyful. We simply receive the kingdom of heaven by joyfully giving up everything in this world to gain it. That's what this parable means. With great joy, he gave up everything to gain a gift that he couldn't earn any other way. Amen. So now let's talk about the parable of the pearl for a minute because they could be seen, they, they could seem to be very similar. The parable of the pearl says in verses 45 and 40, 46, it says again, so again, um, did I miss it? There it is. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. So it sounds like this is the same meaning, right? That, it, that 
the same concept. But I think it's a little bit different from this perspective because I think this is a, a viewpoint from God's perspective. So in this particular example, the merchant would be Jesus. The pearl of great value that he's searching for is you and me. And in bigger context, the church overall. So in this perspective, Jesus isn't like the man that is wandering aimlessly through a field and he just happens to trip on a hidden treasure. In this parable, Jesus is the merchant that is on a mission to find the most precious pearl he can find. And he has a purpose in his heart that he is searching the world over for the best pearl because that's the one he's after. What does the pearl represent? The pearl represents me and you. You and I are the pearl that he's searching after. We're the perfect pearl that Jesus is searching for so that he can sell all he has in heaven to gain us. Wow, that's amazing. Think about this. This means that God has created you just the way you are so that he can find you and he can love you and that he can own you and he can purchase you. He can do it, but he has to go through a transaction too because remember, you are not his until you are born again. We are sin-stained. Because of Adam's sin, we are born in the womb a sinful person. And as we get to the age of accountability, we're given a choice. Do we choose Christ or not choose a Christ? Choose Christ. So by, by, by reality, um, Adam and Eve gave ownership back to Satan. So God can't just come in and take you. He has to purchase you. I hate to say it this way. He has to purchase you from Satan from the perspective of your sinful person. And he has to pay a heavy price. What is the price? The blood of Jesus Christ. The price he paid was he gave up all of heaven. He came and lived a perfect life. He died a horrendous death so that he could shed his blood as the payment for your sin. That's the transaction that Jesus had to go through. Hebrews chapter 12, 2. For the joy, listen to this. For the joy Hear that word? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So just as in the parable of the hidden field, the man with great joy sold all he had, so Jesus with great joy sold all he had to buy you. Isn't that amazing? I tell you, I wish I was a preacher right now. Because if I was a preacher, I'd be ripping off my jacket and I'd be going, Woo! We're saved by the joy of God, you know. But that's just not me. So I, I can't do that. But it'd be pretty good. <laughs> so I'm more of a teacher and I'm a boring teacher. I'm not a preacher. <laughs> but a preacher would be hooting and hollering and dancing around. And, and if I did that, I would look really stupid. Because I can't dance, and I can't hoot and holler that well. So just understand, let me teach you what it means here, okay? (laughs) Wow. Let me tell you about pearls. 
Understand this about pearls. Pearls are formed inside of an oyster. When a living foreign organism gets trapped somehow in the shell, it irritates the oyster. <laughs> it irritates the muscle inside the oyster. So what the oyster does is that it, it, it secretes a slimy coating called nacre. N-A-C-R-E, nacre. And it produces by, it's, it's the inner shell of the, of the pearl, actually, of the oyster actually, which is called the mother of pearl. That's why it's, a, it's got that pretty shell inside the oyster. But this slimy coating coats this foreign organism and it coats it over and over and over again. And over, an, over, over a few years, every time it coats it, it hardens and a new, a new slimy surface comes over it and it hardens. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the beautiful thing about this, the interesting thing about this, is that when that pearl is finally taken out of that oyster, it's of great value. Nothing else has to happen to that pearl. Whereas a diamond has to be processed. The pearl comes out already perfect. All that the, all that the, the oyster diver has to do, or the pearl diver has to do, all he has to do is to wash it. He gets the slimy knacker off it. And the pearl is valuable and beautiful. Do you see the spiritual application here? We are like that pearl that are bound in that crustacean of sin. And our lives are being covered over by the crustacean here. And when Jesus finds us, all he needs to do is wash us in the blood of, his, in the blood of Jesus. All he has to do is wash us in his sacrificial blood. And that washes the slimy nature of sin off us as the slimy form of knacker is washed off the pearl and you're valuable just the way you are. Isn't that amazing? God loves you just the way you are. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, right? But because of his mercy, Listen, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He simply washed the knacker off. He simply washed the sin off our life, and we were automatically beautiful, ready to be presented to his Father in heaven as a gift. Amen. I like that. But you might say, well, Mike, the merchant is looking for one pearl. He's looking for the best pearl of greatest value. And this is where I would say we don't have a proper understanding of the economy of heaven. Because God's love for mankind is that he created all of us in such a way that all of us are that pearl of greatest value. It doesn't make me better than you or you better than the person sitting next to you at all. It just says in God's economy, you are perfect and you're the pearl he's coming after. And that doesn't mean he's not coming after the guy sitting next to you too, but we have to look at it from God's economy. We don't understand God's economy. But Jesus is looking with, at you with eyes of love and worth because he created you special. <laughs> You're special. You're unique. You're exactly who you are. And Jesus is searching for you. 
Jackie, would you come please? So when you put us all together, when you put all of those that have received the transaction of the blood of Christ, you put it all together, we become the church, the body of Christ that he's coming back for. He's coming back for his church in the rapture of this church. And believe me, it's soon, folks. I want you to know it's soon. I believe it's soon. And And let me just say it this way. It may be sooner for some of, some of us because the rapture happens for each one of us when we die. And I don't know when that's going to be. So I'm not placing dates. I'm just knowing the seasons of life. And I would encourage you to prepare your heart because you don't know when your personal rapture is going to happen. Be prepared. And I pray that as we close today, that we would learn what it means to have that intense joy of being willing to bring everything we have and make the trade, make that transaction so that we can gain Christ, that we can be like Paul. To gain Christ and to be found in him is a being known by him as a child of God, that we are joint heirs with Christ. Amen. That is so powerful. Matthew says in the 16th chapter, verse 24, he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Because if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Perfect analogy of this parable. And when we, when we understand the value, when we understand what Jesus gave for us, when he was searching for us, purposely, diligently, scouring the world, looking for me, looking for you, and as soon as he found you, he said, I'm wor- it's wor- you're worth giving up heaven to gain you. I love that transaction. And if we see it that way, doesn't it make living for him a little bit easier? That we would choose him back with as much joy as he has in finding us? Amen. Guys, this makes living for Jesus a joyful experience. There's no, there's no difficulty here anymore because now I'm sensing the joy of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because I'm seeing Jesus' joy that he's experiencing in heaven for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. Oh, God. If we could really grasp what you did for us. If we could really understand the economy of heaven and what you gave up for our benefit. God, I pray that that would just really open our eyes to really the little that we sacrifice here to gain you. I pray that, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the way you've been so involved in this service today. Very obviously, the Holy Spirit was here already and is still here. 
And I thank you, Father, for searching us out and for finding us. God, now I pray that we would be diligent this week as we would go our separate ways, that we would be habitually coming before you with an attitude of repentance. God, just continuing to uncover the hidden treasure of your eternal goodness in our life as you, as you present us as a beautiful pearl to the Father. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, if you will. And uh, let's sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing. And I think this is worth clapping your hands a little bit about. Amen. Let's worship him for a minute. I have a joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I have a joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Amen. That brings back Sunday school days, doesn't it? Yeah, amen. Well, let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for that joy today. We thank you, Lord, that we can enjoy this time and we can enjoy your presence. So I pray, Father, that you go with us throughout this day and throughout our life and just bring us joy and bring us happiness along with it, I pray, that we could celebrate your goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Be blessed today. Enjoy the presence of the Lord. Amen.